Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast, April 2019 in review. My name is Mike Bloom, and it only felt like such a short time ago that we were talking about March, but we have received April showers of shows to talk about. Now, my partner in crime, Mario Lanza, him and I have had a bit of a tiff. He went to go hide in his shirt shield for a little bit, but we brought on a very worthy substitute, a familiar voice to frequent listeners of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast and the host of this This Week in SNL podcast, Andrew Dick. Welcome back. Long time no listen, I suppose, on this podcast. I'm everywhere. <laughs> I think you're just really trying to get into the role of Mario. You're going through a box of his accessories and trying to access who he is. I wanted to talk to Mike Bloom. That's that's the only reason I'm here, is to, to talk to you. Oh, boy. Well... I don't know if your expectations will be met. I'll bring that up right at the top here. Just keep them nice and tempered. Well, let, let's get into this, because as you said, we do have a unique perspective. Not only do we have two shows, but I do feel like, and John spoke about this a bit in the podcast you guys did, that I really do feel like the March-April period is where I think the, usually it's a good indicator of what the season is like, at least the back half and I have to say, we're going to do a lot of comparing and contrasting between these two shows, sort of like what Mario and I did last time. And, it, you know, you listen to my opinions at the end of the March podcast. I had said, all right, uh, I'm not sure what to expect with the Kit Harrington episode. I'll keep my expectations nice and low, but I'm really excited for the Emma Stone episode. By the end of this month, I have promptly <laughs> flip-flopped. I really enjoyed the Kit Harrington episode. We can get into a little bit as to why that was in particular. That was uh, my fifth favorite episode of the season so far. Oh. Emma Stone, on the other hand... And we could definitely get into more of that specifically since that's the one that we haven't heard your thoughts on. I I don't know. Maybe they were leaning too much on, you know, the fact that Emma had been doing this previous material. There wasn't a lot of new stuff comparatively, but this was nearly in my bottom five of the season. I just found nothing Hmm. outside of a couple things really stuck out to me personally. What did you think, especially comparing and contrasting these two shows? So that's a, that's an interesting little microcosm of SNL right there of of you know having no expectations for Kit Harrington but really looking forward to Emma Stone and and kind of having your expectations flipped on their heads uh, because much like you uh, nothing really going into the Kit Harrington episode I don't really watch Game of Thrones so it was like eh whatever and uh, like you turned out to really enjoy it and then with the Emma Stone thing I mean I guess so much of that was was preceded by bts by the musical guest Mm. and just the conversation of what will be the atmosphere for the show so i thought it was pretty interesting that the emma stone episode the live stuff not the strongest we've ever had but they really made up for it with the pre-taped material Mm. uh, which i thought really was quite excellent yeah, it's and I wonder exactly what that is. Maybe unlocking a bit into the BTS. It reminds me a lot of how several years back, uh, Paul Rudd, who is hosting the season finale that I'm sure we'll be talking about in a bit, I believe he was the one who hosted with One Direction. Mm-hmm. And there was some talk there. I know there was also some talk about when Justin Bieber was hosting, how that was regarded as one of the worst SNL episodes <laughs> as of late because <laughs> the audience was just not necessarily there for late night comedy especially in sort of the weird snl variety so yeah. i do want i do wonder you do make a good point that maybe the weird i would argue sometimes almost tepid response from the crowd might have just been that the bts fans were not necessarily there to watch comedy they basically thought much like some people feel like the musical guests are just sort of uh, ways to sort of take a break from the comedy they basically thought that the comedy was just a long break between BTS sets. Right. So a very weird dynamic for what is still essentially a comedy show. Yeah, exactly. It's just so interesting because Emma Stone, I mean, this is her fourth time hosting. And I, I still continue this adage that I think that all the hosts have really been knocking it out of the park this season. But it's always so odd that with the first time hosts, they... For some strange reason, maybe the, the the writing just throws them different types of material that they really do a great job with it most of the time. And these veteran hosts, you know, you have Emma Stone. I know Jonah Hill was an episode that was fine, but it feels like these hosts, they're mm. like, I don't know, maybe it's like a higher expectation of the fact that they're given 
maybe sometimes in the case of Emma Stone, like retreads of materials to do and there's yeah. diminishing returns there. I'm not I'm not sure, but I feel like there, there's something in that. This this era of SNL, I I feel is not very good with uh, reoccurring material. I gotta say, I feel like yeah. don't don't really mix it up much with nothing flipping it on its head at all. All right, well, let's get into some of our comparing and contrasting thing. And how could we start an SNL podcast without comparing the cold opens, which both take a look at recent events, but in very different lenses. In the Kit Harrington episode, we have the Joe Biden cold open featuring Jason Sudeikis returning as the oh, the always like Hall Mount Rushmore memorable Joe Biden impression. <laughs> and then we also get in the Emma Stone episode, we get a, a lockup, which brings in some of the more recent news items. You have the Lori Laughlin references, you have the Michael Avenatti references, you have the Julian Assange and mm. all that. So I guess if we're comparing gratuitous celebrity cameos, Andrew, between <laughs> between uh, our great Jason Sudeikis and, of all people, Michael Keaton. Of all people, Michael Keaton. Yeah, that was super bizarre. And it, it really took me... Uh, a moment to really dial in that that was Michael Keaton when the fine when the camera finally panned over to him because yeah I mean the makeup job was really good but uh, I was like who in the hell Michael Keaton yeah, why what? Michael Keaton he why bears Michael no Keaton? resemblance to Julian Assange I don't know if he has a movie coming out it just seemed like they he was wandering around maybe he was still reenacting scenes from Birdman in Midtown <laughs> and they're like hey Michael come on in we're gonna make you play Julian Assange it was. So strange. But that being said, I don't know if I necessarily hated it. I guess between the two, which one would you personally favor? Uh, I'm going to go with the Joe Biden one just because, uh, you know, Sudeikis is such a seasoned performer. And I I do enjoy his gregarious uh, Biden, even though, as you joked, it's not the most memorable thing of all time. But uh, he, he does give it a good flavor. Uh, the prison thing was fun just to kind of take a break from all the political cold opens, mm. uh, even though this still had a bit of that flavor, of course. And, you know, the Keaton thing, kind of fun, but I'm really starting to get tired of bringing on our celebrity cameos and then having them make a bizarre reference <laughs> to their works that have barely anything to do with the sketch. and isn't even really a joke beyond here's a reference where he says that you want to get crazy, let's get crazy, which uh, didn't even register for the <laughs> the audience, which was very bizarre. But also, it's it's a reference to a 1989 Batman yeah. film that's like, I haven't even watched that in years. So, uh, yeah, that's a bizarre trend. We can really get rid of just pulling in random people. Like, just just stop. It It's fine. You have a cast. You have a bloated cast. Like, mm-hmm. Let him go. Let let him do stuff. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I don't think a lot of BTS's fans were even born by the time that first Batman film came out. I don't <laughs> Very think likely. They're probably not watching any Tim Burton films as they're flying into New York to go watch their favorite band. I, I mean, I totally co-sign this just because this aspect of SNL nowadays feels like something they lampoon on The Girly Show, the show within the show from 30 Rock, where mm. it really is... You know, let's bring on this person. It's very Simpsonsy, actually, where mm-hmm. you bring on a person to have them play almost like themselves and make a reference to it. And yeah, the thing is, I I think from a concept, I probably enjoyed the lockup one more because to your point, I mean, I love the R. Kelly one from a couple of episodes ago. I'm just always happy for a breath of fresh air when something is not done politically. <laughs> but it felt like the writing for the lockup one wasn't as strong. Maybe it's because the Joe Biden one was buoyed by Jason Sudeikis' performance. And I think he brought some nice affability to things like um, a hugger, a kisser, and a little bit of a sniffer. Right. Uh, like the no tickling at all. Oh, wow. Even on her birthday. Like this, this is very borderline dark material. Hence all the mater- all the stuff that had come out about him in uh, in recent memory. So I think he was able to walk that fine line. This was a fun thing, a nice little roundup of some of these stories. And, you know, the Lori Laughlin thing was good. The Michael Avenatti thing was fine. I'm pretty sure they only brought Pete out there as Michael Avenatti again because Michael Avenatti was very specifically angry at SNL for having Pete resemble him. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> he, he tweeted afterwards, like, I can't believe Pete played me because he played him in the Shark Tank sketch. Oh, that is right. Yes. So, and but the writing itself, I mean, when you end the cold open on a WikiLeak joke, oh, it's my just... God. Yeah, that was like, I love puns, but that's that's grown worthy. I could not believe that got through 
uh, the, somebody wrote it, they put it down on paper, they put it onto a cue card, it survived dress, and then they said it. I was like, WikiLeaks? Guys, really? Oh, boy. I, I mean, listen, I'm a Full House fan, so I liked all the, the Full House jokes that were made. And this is something I also noticed, and it'll segue a bit into the monologues. It feels like it's really happening as of late. I can't really, I mean, you've been watching a lot of past SNL. In the past, have they usually done the, like, hey, cast member steps out to play a character in a cold open or a monologue and they get applause because i feel like they've been doing that a lot with like kate mckinnon yeah. and the biden sketch for instance walked out and she got applause yeah i mean i guess the only thing i can think of beyond you know say a cast member just returning for you know a special spot uh i mean eddie murphy i guess like if eddie murphy mm-hmm. hadn't been in an episode and like 20 minutes in he finally steps on stage he might have gotten an applause break but uh yeah that was that was very bizarre well even in the monologue which i think we'll get to now in terms of comparing i mean the emma stone stuff specifically was you know the i can understand actually these monologues pair well really nicely because it features while they have been again avoiding some of the tropes of the typical monologues that we see nary a musical number to be found since rachel brosnahan we do have a bit of hey this person's going to get support from either people in the audience or current members of the cast Mm -hmm. with applause aplenty so between the two i know you said you're not a big game of thrones fan so i guess between the very game of thrones specific kit harrington monologue and i would say the very sweet and reverent emma stone monologue how do you compare the two uh, well, you know, the Kid Harrington one was fun for me because I actually just, it, you know, like I said on the podcast, it was fun just to see Sam Jay and Gary Richardson in there uh, because those are the only two people I recognize. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, totally tangential. I'm going to put out a bold prediction for season 45. Uh, depending on who leaves, do not be surprised to see Gary Richardson and Bowen Yang be made cast members gary richardson made another cameo in the not only in that kid harrington monologue but he was in the lockup cold open as well Mm -hmm. so like i feel like they could totally leslie jones it start a writer and then just happen to make their way on the show yeah i mean and this would be about the time in the season where they would start kind of throwing some people out there to see if well do we want to consider this over the summer because and it's so weird because uh, you know, so many people are like, yeah, Keenan's leaving. It's like, well, I guess we still don't really know who, if anybody, is leaving. So I, I am all for uh, seeing at least, at the very least, Bo and Yang uh, in the cast because it's, it's, it's going to be f- season 45. We need an Asian cast member. Yes, and he would, by my mark at least, be the first. I mean, I know Fred Armisen... Is a little bit of everything, yeah. but I don't think he counts. <laughs> yeah, Fred Armisen is a gypsy. He doesn't really count. <laughs> so what, what did you think about the Emma Stone monologue? Uh, it was pretty fun. I really uh, enjoyed Kate and Keenan coming out to do their uh, impromptu song uh, based on uh, No Woman, No Cry. Yeah. Which I, I thought they did a real good job of really selling the idea that they were coming up with it. Yeah. On the spot. It was very, uh, I was hoping that Garth and Kath wouldn't come out to accompany them, but it was very much in that same note of, she used to host, and now she's hosting. (laughs) Hosting. (laughs) So that was pretty fun, and uh, I do like Chris Red finally sliding out at the end with the jean jacket with the four spray painted on it. It was pretty pretty nice, but, uh, you know, it's all right. I'm of the mind of keeping the monologues short, sweet, get out of it. Uh, because much like the cold open, these are things that are written pretty much at the last moment. Like they're usually the last things that are knocked together. Uh, so to keep them as short as possible is usually the best idea. And I'm not a big fan of like, ah, uh, it's, it's the people from the show game of Thrones. Remember these people and mm-hmm. this kind of, stretch it out with applause breaks and they get two lines and then we move on yeah i i agree with that i mean the thing is i thought this was actually a better job than what we usually get from it and maybe it's because it's been such a long time i mean i like this one so much more than the steve carell one we got of hey when's the office coming back oh well that whole episode was miserable (laughs) yeah that's true it's sort of a drop in the bucket but maybe it's because these were really, these all had like games to them almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, first you have Gary Richardson doing the bitch and come here for sketches. <laughs> yeah, that was great. 
uh, I did, and Pete is the Night King was very odd looking, but a fun image. But I think uh, Rose Leslie totally killed it with like the, what are we going to do for money now? <laughs> and also the random Potter fan asking, do you think it's weird that Dumbledore and Grindelwald are hooking up? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was Sam J. Yeah. The other thing is, uh, but the Emma Stone one, I really liked, again, the emotionality behind it. I mean, the great thing about some of these people that they put on this season is that they have such a reverence for the show. And again, I mentioned last time that Emma Stone appeared during the, the 40th anniversary special as Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. Mm-hmm. So she mentions here how much of a how much she grew up worshiping Gilda Radner and that enthusiasm just even comes across in the monologue. I think she totally buoys. The concept i think the cast does a fine job i like the bit with 80 giving away her allergy bracelet even though you could see that coming from a, a bit of, of a mile away mm-hmm. i don't know if we needed the melissa doing impressions thing i there's mm-hmm. a point about melissa i want to talk about later on but i Ooh, think okay but i think the capper of uh you guys got kyle i think i think it was fun enough to like <laughs> yeah. end, end it on a nice note <laughs> yeah especially since uh it's it's such a meta play of like <laughs> kyle's usually absent throughout the show so it's like oh my god kyle's here it was a it was a pretty fun capper yeah so let's move into let's let's skip ahead a bit i want to talk about the other tried and true constant of each episode weekend update I want to talk mainly about the rosters we have with correspondents, but one general thing I want to ask that I keep forgetting to talk about, but now that I have you pinned down, Ooh. you're my unsuspecting victim for oh it. Oh my god. Well, so the thing that I've noticed is, as of late, Colin, what Colin Jost in particular likes to do with his talking heads is play a video clip and then comment on it. I don't know how to feel about that, because that doesn't feel typical Weekend Update for me. It actually feels a bit more like daily show yes yeah it really does yeah so i i'm still like i'm maybe it's because i still want them to sort of separate themselves from those types of other shows and the writing that they have is pretty damn solid that i don't think we necessarily need to rely on like the can you believe this look what they're actually saying stuff because i feel like that territory has already been trod when you watch stuff the other five days of the week yeah true but I, I don't know. It's it's not bad as a overall flavor for Weekend Update that that kind of stuff can happen. And really, sometimes the best joke is just to play the footage and go, what the hell? Mm. Like There is no better joke than just the reality of it at this point. I mean, it's yeah, we, we are beyond satire uh, at, at many, many times. So I, you know, I'm with you. It does feel very daily show ish. But I don't know. It's it's fine. As long as they don't lean on it too hard, it's it's yeah. okay by me. I, I'd agree with that. And I think maybe it, it prickled up my feelers a bit most recently when I think it happened twice during Weekend Update. And I'm thinking like, okay, maybe we're leaning on this a bit too much. I do agree with you that I think there are some things that are a bit too ridiculous to try to do like hearsay. Of, and then they said this and then they said that. But it's a slippery slope because that had been my complaint with the cold opens for a little bit was, especially with the Trump stuff, he was just going out there and saying what had been said Mm -hmm. earlier on, which is necessarily commentary. I just feel like they had (laughs) such strong jokes. I mean, I'm still remembering that that dolphin clitoris night janitor joke for quite some time now, even a week after the fact. So I don't want them to lean on too many, you know, conventions when they don't need to, you know? Yeah, Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's talk about some of these uh, lineups here. Now, I know you were a huge fan of film critic Terry Fink. Yes. I completely agree. I, this is one I'd watched multiple times right. from the Kid Harrington episode. The highlight of what I thought was a very solid episode overall. It's just, it's so well done. I hope this joins the Alec Asmoffit roster. But this ties into something I want to ask you. Do you generally have a thought as to, like, is there a hard and fast rule with the number of shows that can pass? between character appearances because specifically in the emma stone mm. episode we have the reappearance of carrie crumb which was 80s character from back during the jason momoa episode in december mm-hmm. and we have nico slopkin and brie bacardi that instagram couple that was back from the halsey episode only a couple of months ago did either one of these feel too soon for you or were you were you fine with the timing of them well it, it depends if you've got the material to back it up is really the thing and I mean, Alex Moffat could have come back on in the Emma Stone episode, and if if the whole thing was just as solid as the one from the Kit Harrington episode, I would have been d- completely fine with it. Oh yeah, like totally Jebediah Atkinson. Oh yeah, the, yeah, uh, totally. And so I I was fine with eighties uh, the character because I think that the second performance of it they dialed in a little bit more on uh, what was 
what was funny about it, and it was just a little bit clearer uh, in in concept. And so that one worked for me, but the one with Heidi and Mikey, I, I felt should have just stayed as a one-off because they're ve- they're not likable characters, and they're very grating characters. Uh, so I, I thought the first time it was really an impressive bit of performance between the two of them, but it, clearly after that, it's like I, I don't really need that again. And as as they showed. I don't think I really needed that again. <laughs> yeah. In terms of Carrie Crumb, I do agree that I think what they were really trying to balance was, you know, the two games with her the first time of she's bringing up these really mundane locations that really are not great for travel, but she's building them up like they're the seven wonders of the world on top of her Michael, Michael, Michael. <laughs> and she still brought that in here, but I feel like, I don't know, they, they felt a little less like she was giggling over like funny sexual things. Like when she was giggling about like she put eyeshadow on me and my brother had to wear a yarmulke to dinner. It looked like half a bra. Like those things felt, it felt like they were really leaning into one game over the other. And I felt like that strengthened it overall. You know, it, it wasn't half-assing two things. It was whole-assing one thing to quote Ron Swanson. Yeah. And <laughs> just 80 puts it over for me. Uh, Cause yeah, she, she really hits on that adorableness uh, and just the goofy goofy nature of the character it's it's all quite adorable and on the note of nico slopkin and brie bacardi i mean mario and i talked about how much we love them last time especially the back and forth between mikey and heidi and did that definitely lifted it this time it was a bit of as my old co-host rich tackenberg liked to call it a bit of mad libs with you know instead of hat hole it's shirt shield mm-hmm. instead of the shrek voice it's the cartman voice I-, I think one of the things that i did like was uh Bree's impression of Nico's eyes popping out of his head seeing Emma Stowe. Just Heidi is such a good physical comedian that the the crossing eyes that she was doing, trying to do like as if he was reacting like a cartoon character, (laughs) I thought was fun. And the lying about being pregnant. Granted, again, it's a little cringeworthy just because you're watching these two people really tear into each other and you had to have the requisite BTS reference, which had the the crowd screaming. What I did Mm. find interesting was I'm fairly sure the last time they were on they had met similar strife, but they made up by the end. I'm pretty sure it was because Bree sang I Want It That Way to him. Yeah, <laughs> something like that, yeah. This time they broke up, which was an interesting bit of, I don't know if there's going to be continuity where maybe mm. they'll come back and they're still apart. Maybe they said they got back together, but I just thought that was an interesting, in a sketch that had a lot of similarities between its first instance and second instance, that was the pretty big difference between them both. Yeah, I mean, I guess that would be interesting if that's the way they want to go. Uh, navigate the next one and they haven't been that terribly scared to have like continuity with Heidi's characters like the whole goop thing she did last time uh, sort of predicated on having a knowledge of the first one a little bit Uh, so that would be interesting to see (laughs) yeah but uh, yeah they'd really have to hit a home run to uh, make it worthwhile to bring those back because yeah, it's it's a bit difficult to watch and not really laugh out loud for me. So, mm-hmm. well, listen, we it depends on when they come back because to quote a great man, you still believe in time, <laughs> and it's still making you laugh. So, like again, this is this was a real knockout character. I would not be surprised if we see him. I would say maybe season finale as he previews the upcoming summer films. I would not yeah, be surprised. Yeah, that, that would be great. Yeah, that would totally make sense. And actually, speaking of weekend update and things we need to cover before we are done for the season, if this is indeed Keenan's last season, I want one more iteration of Willie. I'm just throwing that out in the universe. That's, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a hot second. I don't think Willie's made an appearance this season. No, and I maybe there was one last season, but they've, they've kind of put the kibosh on that. and. Uh, that's that that's always been one of my favorites and uh yeah i want one more one more guys come on listen i'm i think you and i are in the minority here i think we're both fans of willie because it's so damn dark i know mario agrees with it but yeah i'd love to see it as well we had some we had some charles barkley this time i think we had big poppy earlier on this season like Mm -hmm. let's go around the horn bring out willie one more time or the uh the french comedian whatever his name was (laughs) like Jean, uh, oh man. Yeah, it was uh, Jean Cajon. That's who it yeah, was. There you go. There you go. Uh, let, let's talk about. There were some other sketches that I feel like are comparable between these two episodes. One is you mentioned the pre tapes, which I agree are just very strong in general, from, especially from a cinematography perspective. And on that note, I want to compare two of the more 
artistically done and ambitious pre-tapes. Now I want to compare the Day in the Life of Theresa May, the sort of like music video slash interpretive dance piece done by She Used to Be Mine by Sarah Bareilles with what I think is not only the highlight of the Emma Stone episode, but quite frankly, maybe in one of my top five sketches in the entire season, <laughs> the actress. Before we get, get into comparing them, can you give me your thoughts on the actress in general? Oh, I loved it. Loved it so much. I am over the moon that Julio Torres is back in the writing room after being absent for, for most, of it, uh, most of the season. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, this right here is why I'm so excited. This was fantastic. Uh, just so absurd and the details are, are so fantastic and I, I loved Beck's sleazy director and it's really just hit, it's just one cast member in this pre-tape which is pretty shocking uh, it's just him and Emma and then two gay porn actors and uh, yeah wow blown away by this yeah this was I mean first off this was one of the things where I felt like they could give to Emma Stone and only Emma Stone because she does such a good job with it of taking everything with a straight face. Even her walking in and just saying, matter of fact, uh, I play the wife in the gay porn, I think was just <laughs> first a fantastic rug pull to begin the scene. But just, you know, maybe I have a special place in my heart because I came from that acting background and I very much have and I myself have done the thing of like. Let me access my character, the waiter that comes on for the two lines. What's his story? Where does he come from? Why does he need this? And I just think the details in this were so well done. Specifically, I think what I love the most about it was her incorporating the random things she found in the box into Deirdre's narrative between they met on New Year's Eve 2017 and Godson, I know you love batteries. I know you love batteries. Uh, There's so many good things between, uh, you know, her immediately switching between the impassioned line delivery to the flat, like, uh, now go teach our God some push-ups right before our wedding, Jared. <laughs> right. Just like completely switching to that night, that nice and flat delivery. The the fact that the godson doesn't even have a name, Jared, why is godson <laughs> sleeping over? Is just there's this is just fantastic writing on top of a really impeccable performance. When you have Emma Stone with tears in her eyes saying, Jared, I forgive you, is just such a genuinely emotionally, for lack of a better term, moving piece before she gets in the car and smears lube all over her steering wheel. Yeah, and then cut to back. Yeah, we'll cut that. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was really, really well done from every single aspect. And what I will say is, comparing that to the Theresa May one, I that's a special place in my heart because I really do enjoy Sarah Bareilles and I love the song She Used to Be Mine. And I actually thought that was genuinely emotional as well and that it did make me feel bad for Theresa May, and I know that from looking things up online, particularly the response from British SNL viewers, was not kind. Yeah. It was sort of one of those things of, hey, you're painting her in a sympathetic light, when mm-hmm. in some people's perspective, she should not be taken as such, but if I'm taking it at face value, I thought it was actually, I don't almost compare it to uh, to the the Bruno Mars Ma- Times Square mouse piece, Sad Mouse, mm-hmm. Sad from, mouse. Back in 2012, from back in 2012. Yeah, I mean, and that was the thing when I discussed it on the podcast is is I really love this aesthetically and where it was going emotionally, but to make it Theresa May was just baffling. And uh, yeah, I guess UK viewers uh, also felt the same of just like, no, I don't feel like sympathizing with this woman. Why couldn't it have been? I mean, I guess the specificity of Theresa May is what kind of crafted the, the sketch, but. I don't know. It's it was almost there, and really, it yeah. just the week afterwards they they hit the home run I was hoping for with the actress. So it was interesting. It was ballsy to try. I don't know if they got there, uh, but you know, I'm not mad if if you enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I do think there was a little bit of like a tale of two different things going on, where I thought the Cerebrales part of it was legitimately beautiful at points it wasn't necessarily funny but neither was love is a dream that infamous uh that infamous phil hartman jan hook sketch Mm -hmm. yeah it's very tom schiller-esque if you want to throw it back to vintage snl uh it yeah definitely within his wheelhouse so you have that side and then you have the other one where it's just over the top like her getting spit on the beef eater slipping her off a butterfly exploding on her it feels a bit like two different ideas are happening in the same sketch. And I, if they had leaned on one more than the other, maybe to your point, that might have helped improve the overall aesthetic, which is, I totally agree with you that I think they workshopped something with the Theresa May piece and it got perfected in the actress. Mm-hmm. So 
let's let's compare some commercials here. And we got two very different commercials. We get our Game of Thrones TV universe uh, sketch that you guys had talked about, but we also get pretty early on in the show. Actually, I'm pretty sure these sketches were in the same place in both episodes. Give me your thoughts on fashion, coward. Well, as the kids say, I feel seen. <laughs> as, uh, yeah, wow. Uh, this one hit it, home. It's fashion, me. <laughs> yeah, fashion coward hit home for sure. Because I'm also just simply looking for pants for legs. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I loved this. Fashion coward was so funny. And just uh, a great concept to just sprinkle in details and uh, get in and get out. Yeah, it was it was short, which I was excited about. I was worried it was going to drag on for a little too long, but you know, I feel like there was one part that I really enjoyed that I still enjoyed the sketch overall, but I wanted them to glom onto it a bit more. Was when you know, eighty they talk about like eighty in the cold in the dressing room, and the, you know, the spotlight momentarily shines down on her. Is like because you have repressed trauma from that one time your mother dragged you into a cold dressing room, and now you can never step into one again. Yeah, no, it sheared off half your brain. I think was the line. Yeah, and I, I kind of like wanted to focus more around that. I guess this one is more about relatability than it is that real darkness part of it. But to your mm. point, I think the devil is in the details here. When you have things like brown sweater, navy <laughs> dress. Uh, ideal juror when they talk about descriptors, yeah. half trail of buttons. Like, it's all about the visuals coupled with just the descriptors that really make it. And I'm assuming, yeah. as, as a Game of Thrones fan, I enjoyed the concept. It's weird. I enjoyed the concept of the Game of Thrones one more than Fashion Coward, but I think I enjoyed the execution of Fashion Coward more than Game of Thrones, which had some fun ideas, but maybe the actual way they were done were not hugely funny i mean i'll give it up for heidi's flashing her skeletal lack of breasts and the entire concept of aria the daria mm-hmm. spinoff but i would actually say i'd i'd enjoy fashion coward more in terms of the way it was actually executed as a commercial yeah i mean the game of thrones thing for me was just i don't i didn't really recognize the references too much and it was so rapid fire that i was just like well i'm kind of lost at sea with this one even the svu cameos uh well no I got that and that that was that was quite uh quite charming I got to admit and yeah the the Arya Daria thing was was also just like just from the standpoint of like hey animation on SNL I dig it that's great yeah and it was so well done to to a T not to be confused with Ice T and I thought they did end actually <laughs> on a good note with like your celebrity cameos Dire Wolf executive producer mention and that's that's how you do a pun wiki leak okay yeah (laughs) produced by direwolf i did like that let's compare some musical sketches here and not musical guests but there were a couple of sketches or at least one sketch from each episode that had a live musical element to it and i will say at the top here big props to both kit harrington and emma stone one thing i will say about kit harrington is he surprised me in so many ways i'll say it I think he did better did better American accents than Idris Elba did throughout the entirety of his episode, which is crazy to say. Hmm. But he also threw himself into being a Michael Jackson impersonator. And let's compare that to the ladies' room, the which I didn't realize until after doing my research that that's based on a real out al- not real song by a real band that I yeah. think was also parodied in a different uh, season of SNL several years back, but. I know your feelings on the Sinatra impersonator. You weren't a huge fan of it, but what do you think about these two sketches overall? Well, Ladies Room, I thought, was was quite fun. Yeah, it's a reference to Climax. Uh, meeting yeah, see, I was going to say orgasms, but like, it's not <laughs> orgasms. They wouldn't be that explicit. Yeah, I believe that's the SNL band name for it. It was like Orgasmics or something. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, so, and it's, uh, you know, it's very reminiscent of the uh, the Rain, uh, Orange Juice Jones thing that they did with, I believe, Chance the Rapper? Uh, Don- Donald Glover, I believe. Oh, was it was. Donald Glover? Okay. And uh, yeah, so it's very reminiscent uh, to that, where they just uh, take this uh, 80s R&B song and then just uh, unravel the bizarre details of the situation. And uh, yeah, so I thought this came out, like, Ladies Room hit the time to stop everything and have Keenan come out and just deliver all the bizarre details of the sketch at just the right time Mm. uh, to not have my interest wane. And, you know, it's, it's props to Keenan because he, like he really makes that whole part uh, sing. And uh, yeah, when the, 
dressing rooms become the turlet and uh, just him looking in the back and everybody is just shat in the dressing rooms. Uh, Including, did what did Beck say he went like five times or something? Yeah, yeah. so the details in that were, were a lot, a lot of fun. And yeah, so the Michael Jackson thing had sort of the same flavor of, uh, you know, let, we're watching something and let's unravel all the details. But just the Michael Jackson thing, it just, it never worked for me. It didn't, it's already kind of a weird, touchy thing to begin with. And I think in concept, I like the idea, you know, hmm. the Michael Jackson impersonator now has to play Frank Sinatra. But beyond that initial idea, I don't think they really did anything. So, hmm. yeah, I, I thought I wrote in my notes, like for some reason, I was really loving the first half when it's just. I agree, this ridiculous concept of how he's still dressed like Michael Jackson. He's singing My Way to the tune of Billie Jean, but I'm assuming right. they couldn't get really far because of copyright and all that. But yeah, I wanted to see more of if this is true, what else is true? And I think we got that in maybe one of the highlights of the sketch, which was Kate doing Macaulay Culkin, not doing Macaulay Culkin, you know? <laughs> Otherwise, it was a lot of like him bopping around. I, I wanted to see more done because I thought it was a fun concept. And I will say wasn't a huge fan of the like sub game of Leslie is hanging out with Beck and Heidi, but she actually isn't their friend. Like that was Oh, I didn't need that at all. You yeah, know? we didn't have, yeah, we didn't need that. We let's focus on what's going on on stage. Let's have our straight men in the audience and just deal with the fact that this ridiculous person is trying to do both Frank Sinatra and the rat pack. Mm-mm. I still did enjoy the concept of it, and I thought Kit Harrington absolutely sold the crap out of it. Speaking of crap, uh, in terms of poop in the dressing room, the ladies' room, I thought, you know what this reminded me of, actually, was a uh, one of the only unfortunate sketches that poor Luke Knoll got on SNL last season, that one sketch where he basically, like, walks into the classroom and, you know, acts like the cool kid to everyone, mm. and then there's this big rug pull halfway through of, like, yeah. oh, this is his first day. That's what this felt like, but it's great in a way that this really felt like this sketch needed the second half. Mm-hmm. Like the, the first half, if you don't know the climax song, you're just like, there are a lot of weird things going on. Where, <laughs> where are we getting to? Is this just going to be a weird song? You needed to have Keenan come in there that I agree that he took it to the next level of really just bringing in and be like, what are you doing? This is a, this is a limited uh, express dressing room. You people have gone to, how long have you been here? What exactly are you doing? Like, I think it really needed to come down from that odd for lack of a better term, climax that we were at, that I think it really made a good sketch in whole. It really helped inform the first half when you look back on it. Yeah, you just, you needed to live in the world a little bit before you start deconstructing it. Yeah, I totally, exactly. And that's what, it felt like we really set up the world. Even if you didn't know the video, which many of us didn't, you can see like, okay, there's some weird stuff going on. They're having conversations in the middle of the song. Beck is playing some sort of weird electric chair. <laughs> Maybe to go with the electric I shoes. No it's so strange but i think that again having someone come in there and basically dress them down in the dressing room was really necessary and i think made the sketch and emma stone totally fit in there uh we're sort of moving away from the the, uh, comparing and contrasting here but i want to talk about one person in particular so it's been a couple of interesting episodes for melissa via senor you know she gets her hobbies pre-tape which is basically just she gets her own rapping sketch about all the hobbies that she has. She also had a pretty big part in the, uh, the Kit Harrington weird burlesque stripper mm-hmm. sketch as well. She is a very interesting personality. And, you know, this is her first year as a tenured cast member. We're going to see, I'm assuming more of her later on in the next few episodes. But I think at this moment, I sort of want to put in the thermometer and take a bit of a temperature about how we feel about Melissa on SNL, especially given she probably had her most prominent role as of late with this hobby sketch. Uh, well, this is one of the times where I am overjoyed that it is me talking instead of Mario, because I know that he hated the hobby sketch, uh, which I absolutely adored. Uh, from the moment where it zooms in on Melissa and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to rap. <laughs> you just go into all the sexy Melissa things that she does. Uh, yeah, I, I love Melissa. She's such a wonderfully unique presence on the show. And I think we're finally, my God, after like three years, still like we're we're still trying to figure out how to utilize her because we did kind of mention up top of uh, the Emma Stone monologue where we had her do some impersonations, and it's all it was stuff we already seen. Yeah, it was it was Owen Wilson 
uh, I forget the other ones, but that was the main one. And I remember that very specifically from the Aziz Ansari bed talk sketch from a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I think she did Ash from Pokemon was one as well. But uh, so it's weird that like, you know, she was hired and all we really knew about her was that she did great impersonations and the show never really found a way to utilize that. So now we're just trying to dial in on the weird energy that Melissa brings. And uh, I'm all for that. Uh, And I loved hobbies uh, much like the actress. It was one of the ones where I made sure that I show to the people that, that enjoy SNL. It was like, okay, there was a couple, (laughs) there's some solid stuff that you might've missed. Yeah. Melissa has a very odd way of speaking in her normal voice. And I, I, I mean that with no ill will whatsoever, but she has an odd way of delivering things. You know, it reminds me a bit of how she was sort of the, one of the main players in the infamous Oil Baron sketch. Like, the kid is like, you are like H.R. Pickens. Hmm. You know, she's like, she has this very odd delivery. Was she the one that was super excited about it? Yes, she was the okay. one that was, she was the kid that was really into what Adam Driver <laughs> okay. was selling right there. Yeah, now, now I'm remembering, yeah. But that's the thing. I think that this season, I totally agree. That's a nice microcosm of how I feel like the show has found her energy and sort of tapped into it to be that person who has the weird reactions. Again, going back to that burlesque sketch, I mean, she was the one who was really into like the uh like uh was it uh like oh yeah i'm gonna edge while you take off your glove <laughs> you know all those types of stuff and then of course the i fan- still her her delivery of the line show me that body adi adi is still f- bouncing around in my head for some reason <laughs> it's just so she made leslie break in that sketch i think between her and <laughs> yeah. kit harrington from from all those things and there was a it was a great pull at the end like i think if you went in there knowing that she was his sister she did a great job of making it really weird to begin with so you knew something was a bit off. I feel like that's mm-hmm. the thing that I think is really interesting that she brings to her sketches. Now, is it conventional sketch comedy? It really is not. So I can understand why someone like Mario would have, you know, not necessarily a great opinion on her because it's not a conventional way that she's approaching delivering lines. But gosh darn it, there, there's something about her sometimes in these sketches, especially with the roles they've been giving her as of late. That gives her some laughs that I would not initially expect unless she was doing an impression. That being said, I'm not as high on hobbies as you are because Mm. it felt uh, the lyrics did not feel great. I think I like the energy that that the two of them brought. And I love little jokes like, you know, smelling her books. Stay away from my backpack. Yes, like those types of things. But I I feel like when we get into like the waking up and talking like Gandalf. That was like a, l- a little too random for me. The Emmaville mm-hmm. stuff was fun, except for the, uh, I don't know, bringing up like the town gossip. I think my favorite part was just the interactions between the two of them. When Emma's about to get up and leave, Muscle's like, Emma Stone, more like I'm a stone. <laughs> Th- those interstitials might have been my favorite part. But yeah, I mean, if, if Melissa keeps staying on, at least they have now found a lane for her, mm-hmm. which is good because there were fans of Melissa coming in, you know, considering how far she got in America's Got Talent before. She was struggling a bit when she was a featured player to find something. So I give the show credit for giving her something in this season alone. Yeah. And I would like to see now that we've kind of established this, I would really like to see something like quietly menacing out of Melissa, because I think that that weird energy would would give that a lot of a lot of fun ways to run at it. Something something bizarrely menacing out of Melissa, I think, would would be something I would like to see. Just throwing that out in the universe. Absolutely. Let's hopefully it, it, you know, materializes before we move into previewing May a bit and some other miscellaneous items. Any other stuff you want to cover from the Emma Stone episode in particular, considering you were not on a podcast to discuss it? Uh, Do we want to talk about BTS at all? Uh, I mean, I thought it was interesting. I believe they are the first K-pop group to perform. I'll Mm -hmm. admit I was entertained by it. I think it's just because it's been a while since we've seen that, like, highly choreographed boy band-esque sequence to things and granted uh, i was not really recognizing a lot of the lyrics they were saying but i thought it was i mean it, it felt like this was one of the snl musical performances that most felt like i was at a concert mm. instead of just like a hey i'm gonna come on and do a quick song while they change sets yeah fair enough fair enough yeah i was really surprised uh with the whole you know week-long lead up to it i didn't listen to any bts and i was just like i just want to see what they do on snl and uh really found myself <laughs> quite enjoying their first song just a, a nice little pop ditty that i was i was quite into the second song a little bit more eh, i don't know with the whole korean rap thing seemed a little 
odd. Mm. But yeah, the first song I was I was totally on board. Yeah. So yeah, I'm pretty surprised to find myself like with all the lead up and all the shenanigans and and crap happening online between BTS and SNL fans and all that nonsense. It's like, oh, hey, this is a pretty good song. <laughs> all right, fair enough. You have to give them credit. As much of a kerfuffle had been brought up from their appearance on the show, I thought they made something entertaining. Yeah, and they were a Korean language band on SNL, like singing in their native language. Like, what? This is pretty cool. I'm, I'm into this. I'm all right with that. So speaking of making history, let's talk about what's coming up here. The final three hosts have officially been announced after that surreptitious leak from a while back. They're mm-hmm. officially confirmed. May 4th, Adam Sandler makes his SNL day hosting debut. I believe he now ties Dan Aykroyd for the longest tenure between being a cast member and hosting the show. Yeah. With musical guest Sean Mendez. Uh, then we have on May 11th, Emma Thompson, who I believe is also hosting... For the first time? I believe so, yeah. With musical guest the Jonas Brothers, newly reunited, speaking of former boy bands. And to finish it off, we've got Ant-Man himself, Paul Rudd, with DJ Khaled. Give me your thoughts about any or all of these three hosts as we round the clock to May. Well, listen, Adam Sandler, that's so up in the air. I really don't know what they're going to do with that, and I am fascinated to see what comes out of it, because... Adam Sandler's from that that early 90s period of the show that that got so dire that the show itself was like the closest it ever got to being canceled and the whole cast was wiped away and they started over and that moment in time is kind of what kept Sandler from coming back. I think he still kind of had some bad feelings uh, from that time period. And so here we are inexplicably, you know, some 25 years later, whatever it is. And uh, I don't know. I I can't see anybody in the cast that he's going to do like a double act with. Like, I just don't see what 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 will they do with Sandler? I don't know. It's it's going to be so interesting. I can't wait. I mean, I think we can expect an opera man. But to your point, and Mario and I spoke about this a little bit as well when we were speculating at the end of the Merchant Review, it's just so interesting comparing his humor, especially at the time that that era of SNL was, which I think was more known for its sophomoric stuff. You know, a lot of like vomit, farting, specifically in the Chris Farley variety. Yeah, fatty falls down. Yeah, exactly. And like even Adam Sandler was like, his a lot of his shtick, especially you know his famous Halloween costume one, was just him doing a bunch of funny voices. Mm-hmm. I don't think he necessarily does that anymore. It seems like the Adam Sandler of the past ten years is there's still veins of that, like him playing funny songs. But I think he's matured a bit. But to your point, I have no idea how he's going to play off of some of these people just because of the energy he brings. It's so interesting because it feels like this cast is a very performance based cast where you have a lot of like actors with capital A's instead of, mm. you know, you, instead of comparably to like your Pete and Leslie's who are more so like comedians who happen to be in sketches. Sandler's more like the latter. So it'll be interesting to see how he blends in with that. Yeah. It will be uh, interesting to see if he does anything with, with Pete specifically because yeah, Pete's sort of in that line of the young goofy guy in the cast that isn't really a great actor, but uh Yeah. Pete is definitely in the same line of, of your Adam Sandler's. Uh, so yeah, super interest in that one. Emma Thompson. I don't know much about her, but I do know that I think she has, uh, some sketch background. Cause I believe she was, uh, involved with a little bit of Fry and Laurie. Mm, yeah, I believe so as well. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Emma Thompson. I think she's just a fantastic actress so i'm really hoping that translates uh to you know the actual show itself she'll this will at least be another great performer so we'll see if they give her the material to be able to really knock it out of the park yeah and they've been doing you know i'm gonna assume that it's gonna be another mother's day themed episode so Mm -hmm. they've always been doing uh the last couple years always been doing a really good mother's day uh show that that seems to sort of give them ideas for for interesting ways to go about things so that should be fun and uh yeah i'm I'm, I'm fine with seeing paul rudd back uh finally without like we mentioned like a one dimension or or something else to kind of overshadow his his presence on the show and it's kind of interesting because it makes sense like again if this is keenan's last show uh, it makes sense to have Paul Rudd because he's kind of like he was involved with that sort of like 
smack dab in the middle of Keenan's run is like where Paul Rudd had his his biggest run of hosting uh, stints. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to get anybody and have it still connect back to something that's big right now, the Avengers, uh, yeah, it makes sense to have Paul Rudd in there. Uh, not a big fan of any of the musical guests and the fact that we have DJ Khaled coming on, uh, just, oh, oh my God, has anybody seen his live performances? They are legendarily bad. Like, why, why, why? I mean, listen, the SNL stage is not great for live performances in general. So I think, uh, not so great plus not so great. We'll see if two wrongs make a right here. I mean, no doubt he's going to be bringing on a lot of people, uh, to, to buoy this i mean he has a new album coming out i believe that's you know just chock a block of of guest performers so we'll probably get a a sort of you know like a full circle of like the kanye performance to open up the the season where we just have a whole bunch of special guests oh no and, what's uh, what's dj Khaled gonna rant about after the the <laughs> during the good nights for the season no and yeah i just i don't know i don't appreciate maybe snl uh just booking somebody for their final show because they just won a great after party i feel to end <laughs> out the season it's like come on guys they deserved it so let's let's just give them dj call i'm super excited for all three of these especially paul rudd it's been a while since paul rudd hosted he this is his fourth time like emma stone but he last hosted December 7th, 2013, five and a half years ago. Yeah, and I, I believe that was, was that not the One Direction episode? I think it might have been. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense, because I don't think One Direction was around back in like 2010, 2008. So it's mm-hmm. been a hot second, but he is always like one of the most affable comedic actors out there. Hopefully they'll make jokes about him recently turning 50 and the fact that like he just doesn't age. I'm sure there'll be a lot of great stuff in there. I'm hoping so, because... Last season finale was great on paper. You brought in Tina Fey, mm. and it surprisingly was not great. You know, it, it was a pretty solid string of episodes that ended on kind of a... So hopefully, I'm hopeful that the material rises up to the caliber of a, a finale guest. God, I hope they don't bring back the kissing family. That is The, the vocal one, checks. <laughs> yeah, if they do not bring back the vocal checks, that's all I'm asking for. Please don't do that again. Do you have any bold predictions as to who you think is going to be leaving the cast either at the end of season 44 or we find out before season 45 begins? Ah, uh, man, I'm going to say, I mean, it's it's Keenan's last season. It would be weird if he come he came back for another one, because especially since everybody's resigned themselves to the fact that he's leaving. So it's going to just like, OK, it's all right. You can leave. Uh, I've heard rumblings. That Cecily will be leaving? Hmm. I don't know that to be true, but I've heard that. And, uh, you know, I love them, but I don't really see much of a reason to keep Beck and Kyle on the show. That's not to say I don't like them, but it's just, I don't, they've never really, beyond the time where the show actually gave them, you know, two minutes an episode to really dig their heels in on some goofy little pre-tape, They've never really folded well into the main cast. Uh, Beck a little bit better than Kyle. So I, you know, would not be completely heartbroken to see them go. And really just a general slimming down I'm in favor of. And mm. and maybe throw in a couple new feature players. I'd like to see, you know, again, maybe Bowen Yang or Gary Richardson in there. And uh, I mean, I really thought that this year that we're having right now should have been the transition season that we're probably going to get next year. Yeah. But you know, SNL it's, it's a, it's a giant cruise liner and it, it makes his changes very slowly as it moves on to the next course. Uh, so, uh, yeah, looking forward to see what they do because I think the show needs a shakeup and yeah. I also maybe, you know, I don't know if we want to get into stuff that has happened very recently with Michael Che uh-huh. and Colin Jost, but I, I feel that, you know, maybe it's been about five years and maybe it's time to switch out and get some new weekend update hosts in there. Uh, maybe it wouldn't be too bad to just take them off weekend update and have them focus on writing just in general. But uh, <laughs> do we want to touch on the article and yeah. the ensuing madness that came out of that? Let's do it. Let's do it. Because you know what? It's I feel like it's this SNL related stuff that isn't necessarily inherent to the show. But I feel like it's especially in the day and age that we live in where everything is online. It's built up such a fervor 
in the past couple days. Though I will, just to go back to what you were saying, I really co-signed a lot of what you were saying. I feel like it's Keenan's last year as well. I'm a bit surprised that AD actually very recently announced that even though Shrill, her Hulu show, is being brought back for season two, it seems like Lauren is totally fine with her still doing SNL. But I would mm. say if it continues to be successful, I think we can sort of say, I don't know if she'll last another season because of that, just because I cannot imagine the schedule that she's keeping yeah. up right now. I would be fine. I think Cecily, Keenan, and maybe even Kate, and this might be a hot take, but I feel like they've all done such a great job. I totally agree with you. I'm ready to see those people move off and do their own fantastic projects and bring on some new talent. It really feels like mm-hmm. we do. We haven't really experienced that shift yeah, we've had people sort of trickle out in, in drips and drebs, and I, I want to see some new people come in and see what they can really do. But let's get into let's get into the Michael Chase <laughs> stuff. The Michael Chase stuff specifically, because yeah, this is a this is a bit of a doozy. <sighs> this is this is something weird. So let's I mean, I guess we gotta talk about the article first. Yes. So Uprox wrote an article from, I believe, you know, recording this on April 20th. It's from April 19th called by a, a writer named Stephen Hayden, a cultural critic for Uprox called Why Does Everyone, parentheses, still hate SNL's Colin Jost? And so this is sort of a weird examination as to like, nobody out there on the internet likes Colin Jost. Why is that? And to be fair, it's not a representative of all opinions. I personally am fine with Colin Jost. I, I like a lot of the stuff that he writes and a lot of the stuff that he puts out on Update. But basically what they're saying is like he represents, uh, you know, white male upper class mediocrity. Somebody who got hired right out of Harvard to go on to SNL mm. and is now dating an Avenger. He represents the privileged and his comedy doesn't necessarily warrant him staying on the show. And that prompted some rather incendiary remarks from Michael Che. <laughs> so first off, uh, I thought the article was horse. I thought it was the dumbest thing I've read in quite a while. Anybody trying to sort of shade it in anything other than a very like mean spirited, jealous, like hit piece, uh, I feel is wrong because it just the tone of it was just. I, I, all over the place and just so many times of like, but, but Scarlett Johansson and he's white and he went to Harvard and then he got hired out of Harvard. And what's up with this guy? He hasn't done anything but write for the show for, you know, 15 years. What has he ever done? And so that just, when the article came out, I was like, okay, well that was, that was a waste of my time. I did not need to read that. And then Michael Che. <laughs> And his infinite wisdom decided to hop onto uh, Instagram, which is pretty much like his Instagram stories or whatever, like the only way to uh, sort of see what what Michael is writing on social media. And uh, basically <laughs> said Ugh. that this dude sucks off dogs. Uh, could not, you know, maybe it's not this guy. I've just kind of heard about him, but I think he sucks off dogs, uh, which is a real dumb joke there there was so many ways for michael a seasoned comedy writer to deconstruct that awful article and instead just decided to say this dude sucked off dogs which you know stupid but it's like everybody's treating it like slander like you know like the most egregious slander and it's like guys if you believe this you're an idiot like what this is this the stupidest thing and uh really kind of in my mind just focuses on how divisive Michael and Jost are. And, uh, you know, Michael, God love him. Uh, I'd, I'd love him on Weekend Update, but uh, on social media, sometimes puts his foot in his mouth way more than uh, I would care to admit. Mm. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. I think that with Colin, it's not necessarily like what he writes as much as what he represents. I think mm-hmm. with such a diverse cast, I do understand people's opinions of like, let's get some diversity represented. It's why people are still salivating over when Cecily was on there. Not because she was a, she was like a fantastic update anchor, but it was cool to see that sort of change of pace brought, which is another reason why I think they brought Che on. And I think his unconventionality has really bolstered update in the past few years that he's been on. But yeah, I would agree that it's been a long time for these guys. And while update has still, in my opinion, been one of the solid foundations of the show, I'm always game to bring in some new blood, even if it's like Michael and somebody else. 
Yeah, I'm I'm fine with keeping Michael in the in the mix right now, but yeah, maybe it is time to let Colin go. I don't know, or or at least make him focus on running because I mean he had been correct me if I'm wrong here. He had been like head writer, stepped down to do update for a little mm-hmm. while, and then once uh once Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider took over, and then stepped back into the role after they left. So like if yeah. he could see, he could stay head writer, he still has pumped out you know good sketches. Him and Mulaney worked on Diner Lobster, which is one of my favorite sketches in years. So it's not to say that he's in my opinion he's not a bad writer, but I think it is just sort of a microcosm here, specifically of Che responding, where I think it's natural to defend a friend and your co-head writer. It was done in a very bizarre <laughs> and uncouth way yeah. that I think just represents how being unconventional cuts both ways, where if he, if he approaches material in a different way than other people, he's going to approach responses a different way than people. For what it's worth, the writer did respond uh, saying, Dear Michael Che, I don't feel harassed. Your bit about me having sex with dogs was hilarious. Have a nice Easter, your pal Steve. It's always hard to determine, much like with Michael's outburst, tone when it yeah. comes to writing. But it seems like, from what I'm gleaning, and maybe this is me being naive, it seems like he was totally fine with just the ridiculous accusations that have been levied his way. But How could you read it as anything but, is the thing. like The, the fact that so many people are, are taking it so serious is like, guys, there's nothing serious about this. Yeah, it's, uh, I, yeah people are taking it a bit too seriously, especially when it's coming from two comedians, who even if they have serious feelings, are going to use humor to mask it at the end of the day so we shall see about all that i'm assuming uh, one thing about it is you know with this happening you know in so many off weeks we'll see if it's even addressed when the sandler show comes around oh, Maybe, i doubt it no they wouldn't it'll be forgotten they would want to drag it back up that'll probably be it and then they'll move on to the last three shows and then we'll go from there maybe this is emboldened Che to to double down even more but we shall see. We'll see, I guess, the general shakedown that might happen into season 45, or maybe not whatsoever. Maybe this cast is all cop the Keenan attitude of, like, bolt us down to the chairs of Studio 8H. We're here forever. No, no, don't. Don't. We need change. SNL thrives on change, and it's it's been too long. We, we really... I mean, this has been the cast, essentially, since I started watching the show again. And uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm thirsty for, for more people to come in. It's really what I love is to see new people and new new ways in the comedy. And it's like like we all love Kate McKimmon, but what what has been her big character this this year? Literally everybody in the Trump administration. Yeah, and beyond that, which all of it is like the same decomposing old man, essentially, or you know, like a ferret. You know, it's just like either <laughs> you know, either decomposing. I love that. Like you have like the, the spectrum of Kate McKinnon's performance in the Trump administration, either a decomposing person or a ferret. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I love Kate, but it's like I, I we're not really coming up with new things for her. So mm. why not why not bring in somebody new that that has a whole new a way of going about things and uh, see what we come up with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm someone who comes from the world of improv, so I'm all about new characters, new concepts, new cast members, new everything. So you're preaching in the choir here, but we shall see what comes of these last few episodes. And speaking of change, Andrew, thank you so much for adopting to the change and taking <laughs> Mario's place for this podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed getting your thoughts on the past, present, and future of SNL. Uh, for people who want to check out your other work, how can people follow you on social media and what have you been putting out as of late? Uh, well, you can find our podcast that week in SNL, uh, pretty much in all your podcasting devices, uh, just wherever you find podcasts, you can find us, uh, and we're on Twitter, uh, usually, uh, hacking it up with people. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, we're much like the show We're we're kind of on a little break right now, but we just did, uh, just did an episode with Mario covering the Dolly Parton episode from 1989 and uh mario what are you doing with podcaster (laughs) so you can go check that you got me on that one um (laughs) i was finally able to channel deirdre after all this time now i can't get rid of her her. you can't get rid of her um and yeah when we come back from the break uh right around when the the adam sandler episode is uh, is about to air we will have uh we will be covering the betty white episode from Ooh. uh season 35 the big betty white uh extravaganza they put on 
about oh a decade my- ago. Yeah, I was going to say, that's such an interesting relic from the time as well, because that was one of the, I think at this point, the only time that a write-in campaign actually worked for the mm-hmm. show. And it's crazy thinking about like how much social media has gone. That, and this was just the giant female alumni fest. I remember when they did the... Uh, the the Dunice cold open that had so many alumni in it like it yep. was a bananas episode of SNL I'm super excited to hear you guys talk about it yeah it's a lot of fun I I forgot that they had a delicious dish in there that oh yeah is, the the muffin <laughs> yeah the, the, the dusty muffin I had f- completely forgotten about and I was like oh my god why do people not talk about this one more than like the sweaty balls because like everybody's so tired of the sweaty balls like why can't we throw dusty muffins into the rotation now because that one is ludicrous i loved it so uh yeah that's that's on the horizon so look forward to it awesome well you can always follow me at a mike bloom type that's where i post my updated episode rankings if you want to check out how i uh specifically ranked the Kit Harrington and Emma Stone episodes. You can check that out. I'll be updating those at the end of May as well. I'm also doing a bunch of stuff in the reality TV and scripted TV atmosphere in terms of writing and podcasting. You can all check that out on my Twitter. You can also follow Mario at Mario J Lanza in Abstentia. Uh, make sure you follow Saturday Night Live After Party at SNL Podcast. Uh, John and Steve will be back after the most recent episode to talk to Adam Sandler and then in yeah. a month with me i i demanded oh, really? i would be on that episode wow so you were just like you you are sort of becoming the keenan you were just sort of actually you know yeah. what you're the alec baldwin of snl oh, after no. party how dare you you're just you're basically a, ca- a podcaster tenured podcaster at this point just yeah, sort of fair enough making so many appearances but i'm looking forward to hearing you talk about it in a few weeks <laughs> and in about a month or so you'll be hearing mario and i break down this final part of snl 44 looking at 45 as well so it should be it should be a good time andrew thank you so much again for coming on and subjecting yourself to all the random ramblings and topic jumps that i make it was was truly (laughs) a delight to pick your brain about this stuff absolutely this is exactly what i wanted this was a lot of fun well hopefully we'll get some dj khaled to play you off here as we uh, make our way into may you'll be hearing from andrew very soon (laughs) you'll be hearing from mario and i next month thank you all so much for listening take care now Bye-bye. Bye, y'all.